And did you know that this podcast is an independent production? That's right. The Eric Norcross podcast is an indie podcast. And because of that, we depend on listeners like you to help support the show. The best way to become a supporter is to become a patron. Patreon is a membership platform that allows creators to develop a more sustainable source of financial support for their projects. My Patreon supports this podcast. If you find this podcast worthwhile, please consider becoming a patron by heading over to the Patreon link in the description. That's patreon.com slash Eric Norcross. Again, patreon.com slash Eric Norcross, and the link will be in the description. Thank you, and on with the show. All right, I have one more announcement before I go into the episode. I know these can be super annoying, but this is not a paid advertisement. This is actually about one of my projects. I made a feature film called Fractals, and guess what? It is now available for streaming. Just visit my website, ericnorcross.com. Look for the movie Fractals, and there will be a list of platforms where you can stream it. Thanks. found you on Twitter. And one of the things I noticed is that you are a writer actually talking about marketing. You're a writer who's talking about kind of the mechanics of being an author beyond just knowing how to write. And I really appreciated that because it seems like most people are just really, really confused by it. They're great writers, but they don't know how to do the social media aspects of it. I don't really need know. I mean, I'm starting to figure it out with Twitter, especially in the last two days, I got like 50 followers. But prior to that, I wasn't even trying. (laughs) Uh, But one of the things I realized, and and this was from finding this guy, his name was George Stiles. He's on Twitter. Um, And all he does is ask questions. That's all he does. I'm like, that is brilliant. Yeah. So I'm like, so I had him on. His episode will be on right before yours. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that for the month of April and see what happens. After the first question, it was like 10 followers. The second question, it was 10 more. People just want questions. Then they want to answer those questions. Oh, yeah, most definitely. I feel like when you ask that, like a question, it people feel more comfortable engaging in your tweet. Um, And that's kind of how I got started my follower. Because I kind of, I tried Twitter at first, like, uh like 2014 or something and I got no traction so I kind of abandoned it for a while and then I came back when the pandemic started and was like I'll give it another try and I tried to see what other people were doing because I felt like I was just putting stuff out there and nobody was seeing it (laughs) um because I I read this crazy statistic that your tweet only lives for like 18 minutes or something like that um so to like try to increase the life of your tweet I was like how do you do that so I saw a lot of people in the writing community were actually doing questions. um, And I tried some of those at first and nothing happened. I would get like maybe two or three people answering and I was like, Hey, this is not working. So then instead of trying to just do questions that I thought would get people's attention, I tried to focus more on questions I had as a writer because I still was fairly new. uh, And I feel like once I started doing that, my numbers just instantly climbed. I've always found the weakness of Twitter, especially to be that you can just put a statement out there (laughs) (laughs) to turn it into something a little more empathetic Mm kind of lightens the mood of that whole environment. Oh, yeah, for sure. Let's start with um, you. Tell me about yourself. Tell us all about yourself. That's Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so uh, I always enjoyed writing. I was like on the school newspaper in high school and I always wanted to write a book but never really had the confidence to actually go for it and I first wrote a book that took me like four years to write it was a young adult dystopian story and I finally was like you know what I'm going to publish it I'm going to give it a go and I knew nothing nothing at all I didn't know about 
queering. I didn't know about self-hosting. I just knew I wanted to get out there. And I was um, a preschool teacher at the time. So I had a, I had a, you know, a regular nine to five job and I started looking into self-publishing. I looked into Amazon and the Kindle direct publishing has packages where they can do it all for you. And since I didn't know anything and I was very much a newbie, <laughs> I took advantage of that and they did a great job. You know, they walked me through everything and gave me pointers on what I needed. And, but when all of a sudden done, it cost me $3,000, which is not sustainable for someone in self-publishing line of work, because really how many books do you want to show out that equal that amount of money? So I had to kind of learn how to cut the cost without cutting corners. Uh, you know, what tools were going to work to, you know, I had to, I would say, I talked a lot about your precious budget for your book. So how, what was I going to allot those precious funds towards, which would be like editing, marketing, and a cover, you know, if you weren't comfortable with making a cover. So uh, after the pandemic hit, I became a stay-at-home mom, and that has allowed me a lot of time to focus on my writing, and I write when my kid goes to sleep and when she gets a TV turn, and that's how I get all my books out, and I have about four or five books out now. I have another one on the way. Um, I write on Medium, and I'm on Twitter most of the time because that's my most successful platform. I still need to figure out Instagram and Facebook and all those other wonderful things. <laughs> Do you think that you, you, if you hadn't become a stay-at-home mom and you were working like full-time job, would you have had time? Would you have been able to find time to write? I think I would have, I think, but I don't think I would have been able to build my platform or, or my portfolio as fast as I have been able to. And I think a big part of that too was with my series, The Backup Superhero, I switched to focus on novellas and you can kind of turn those out a little faster than you can a huge novel. So I think that also made a very big difference. Yeah, because I was just having a conversation this morning with Jan she produces this show and she's also my girlfriend uh, and we were talking about J.K. Rowling who's basically the wealthiest writer of our generation and okay. of our era and yeah. I honestly don't think she would have been able to get to that level with if she was in any other country because the UK has a very strong social safety net she was out of work for a long time working on her craft and honestly like if she was in any other country, I don't think Harry Potter would exist. I have to agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> it does take a lot of time and dedication to put in the amount of work to get your writing to where it needs to be. I find even if I take a break, I kind of slide back to where like a stage or two behind where I was before. Um, so I definitely agree with you there because a lot of people don't have the time to sit down and work on it as much as they would like to. Yeah, I remember um, in 2014, I wrote this novella. I call it a novel because I, I don't like the word novella, but <laughs> it's a short novel. Uh, and I, w I was on fire with it because I was out of work and I was in a zone for like six months where I could just like, I was in a, I was in a situation where I could just do it and I didn't have to worry about anything, any external factors. Right. And then like five years later, I tried to do it again. This time I have clients and I have a podcast and suddenly, and I also have a smartphone. I didn't have a smartphone back then. I was not an early adopter by any measure. Uh, and, and now I'm distracted and I forgot how I did it. And so I had to remember what all of the factors were. And now I, I've created a routine where I wake up at like 4 a.m. I don't turn my phone on. I just, I just write and I don't even turn on the Wi-Fi on my MacBook. I like no internet. Uh, it's just a word file. And f from 4am to 6am, I just write. And that seems to have fixed the problem. Oh yeah. And that's great. Cause it, like, I feel like one of the best ways to work on that is establishing a routine like you did. Um, I know like my, right now, cause my kid's like four, it's only, you know, when I have time, um, you know, I, I'm waking up before she's waking up or I'm staying up late after she goes to bed. So yeah. And definitely, like you said, turning off the Wi-Fi definitely helps and not having that, Oh, I just need a second to think. And then you're sucked into social media for an hour. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, yeah. And the apps more and more are being designed to keep you there. Oh yeah. Uh, can you, 
Can you talk a little bit about SEO strategies? Um, so I feel like in terms of SEO, you really need to do a lot of planning. So when back, even back when you're planning out your novel, your short story, your novella, whatever you're doing, you really want to think about your target audience to begin with. And I would say even before the book is started, start with a keyword list. Um, I feel like that's something that a lot of people forget until the very end. And if you start with a keyword list, you know, that you can build into that SEO later on, then you're setting yourself up for success that when the book is done, you can just add to it. I watched a lot of YouTube videos because I honestly didn't know anything about it. I feel like it's this topic that everybody skirts around with marketing and SEO and not knowing where to start. And someone suggested coming up with a hundred keywords to start. Wow, that is insane. But it makes sense because then you have a lot to pick and choose from. But then you kind of also get into this rabbit hole of what, how many like similar words am I looking for in my target audience that are really going to count as an SEO or a keyword. Uh, so having that list, I feel like when you're outlining in the very beginning, it's really going to serve you of great purpose to you later on. And this is a list that you're going to be able to pick from for your promotions that you're going to be putting on social media. Or, you know, if I'm making a blog, a blog post for Medium, I'm going to plug those things in throughout my, you know, my description or my blog post, because those are things that are going to pull up in Google or Medium or wherever someone's searching for something, because you just want to make sure that readers can find it. And that's what really what SEO search and keywords are for. And it's a very big, complicated topic. I feel like <laughs> I could go on and on and on and on. I mean, they have a lot of tools out there too. Like if you're talking about the, what is it? The, the Kindle Rocket or Rocket. There's like, there's like a something from Kindle. It's like a Rocket publisher or something. And you pay, I think it's like $99. And it gives you keywords and SEO search words and things like that. I have not used it myself. I usually just do my own research and go with, you know, Amazon or Google or whatever to make my list up. So it really is up to you. I know there's a Google keywords as well that also works. So there's a lot of tools out there just really managing how much you want to spend for them as well and how much you want to invest in your own time to make up this list yourself. Gotcha. So have you, were you looking looking at this from the start or is this something you had to pick up along the way? Definitely something I had to pick up along the way. Uh, when I, I mean, as I said, when I first started writing, I knew nothing. I knew nothing. I just jumped in feet first, knew nothing. And obviously I didn't do very well in the very beginning. No one knew who I was. And I feel like a lot of authors after their first book will give up because they didn't see the success that they wanted right away. But you have to play the long game and be able to put in the effort to consistently build your body of work, your portfolio, whatever you're trying to put out there. Because if you're showing readers you're going to be there over time, then they're going to want to invest the time in you. So, you know, keep building and keep expanding what you have. And that's only going to serve you better. So as I, I put out this first book and I did, I almost stopped because I was like, well, I'm not getting anywhere. I'm not doing anything. So that's when I started, was, I had an idea for another story and I wanted to jump back in and I did a lot of research, but what really helped me was I met a lot of other seasoned writers in the writing community and they were like, oh, you know, this is a really great idea for your book. Are you going to put out another, are you going to publish another book? I was like, there's no way I can do it. It costs me like three grand. It's an arm and a leg. How am I ever going to put out another book? Like, you can do it for nearly free. And I was like, what? Like, this is a thing. So, you know, I, I kind of learn things from talking to other people. And I feel like a lot of writers feel like it's this, you know, lonely journey to get published. But really, there's so many things that other people can teach you. And there's a lot of people out there that are willing to teach it to you. You just need to ask. But that's also, you know, you need to give and take, you know, if someone's helping you out, you need to help them out in return. So, I just feel like along the way I had to learn as I went. So now I'm trying to put that stuff back out there. So someone doesn't have to go through exactly what I went through. <laughs> yeah, that, that's good. That makes sense. That's one of the, that's one of the reasons I have a podcast. Um, 
we're I feel like we're we're in this era where publishing really needs an upset. <laughs> and yeah. I don't know what that looks like cuz I've never been an advocate for sort of mainstream publishing. Um, yeah. I always wanted to see a future where artists just it was part they have they handle it themselves and that's just part of it. Um and we could very well be on our way to that. I don't know. Um, but if we, if, if we are, then we're ahead of the game. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you ever talk about in, in some of your materials, uh, AB testing with like, let's say pitch lines or log lines? Um, I don't think I've gotten to that point yet. I don't think I've gotten to that point yet. Um, there, I am interested in all of that. Um, and like I said, YouTube has taught me a lot. <laughs> Reading other articles and medium has taught me a lot. And for any other writers, I suggest you do just that because you'll learn so much that way. So I have your article here. Build your indie author brand with an author platform. I would like to talk about that. Let's see here. If I can click into it. All right, so the first part is setting yourself up for success. So what would you recommend to authors who are doing this for the first time? Or, or maybe they, they failed the first time and they want to, want, to, want to do it again and do it right. Uh, where do you start? Well, first and foremost, you want to start with your website. And I know that in this day and age, sometimes that feels like you're taking a step back only because I... You, I, I heard a lot of people say you want to be on social sites, which yes, I completely agree. Medium is a social site. You're going to be there. If you're blogging there, a lot of people are already there. So they're going to find you. However, when you think about yourself as an author, you want to make this website because it's kind of going to be your home base. It's going to be where somebody can find everything by you, everything about you. So you're going to have a section for, you know, your home page, which would be, you know, here's my latest work, here's where you can subscribe, all the things that people are gonna see firsthand that you want them to know right away. And then if you pique their interest enough, you maybe get them to your about the author section or you get them to your other works by me section or you get them to your blog section. So having this website, you know, you're gonna have it on everything. You're gonna have it in your social media, you're gonna have it at the back of your book, maybe, hey, you know, you want to see other stuff by me, come to my website here. It, it's probably like a 70% chance it's not going to work, but there's that 30% chance someone's going to come and check you out. You know, who knows? But my, my take on an author's platform would be your website and your social media. So your website is your home base where everybody's going to find everything by you and where you're at. So, um, and then your social media is where people can connect with you on a daily basis. So you have to be consistent with posting on those because you can have them, but if you're not using them, it's not going to do any good. And it's a free tool that I feel people don't take enough advantage of only because I've heard a lot of people refer to it as, oh, it's like a second job keeping up with social media. And I agree. Sometimes it can be a little overwhelming, um, you know, when you get to a certain amount of followers or you know, trying to keep growing yourself, but really if once you've done it for a while, you come up with a routine or a schedule that seems to work for you. And then it doesn't seem so overwhelming as you go. Yeah. And having like a website with like a contact form. Oh yeah. Uh, is so important. And for a long time, I, you know, I, I wouldn't get anything through that contact form. And then after the second season of this podcast, I started getting like weird, weird stuff. And like you could put all the attention in the world on your craft, but the strangest things people will focus on. And it can be pretty interesting. Uh, <laughs> like I remember I did this one podcast. It was a UFO based podcast. Uh, the guy wrote some some really interesting books uh, about UFOs. And I'm like, oh, well, if I get anything, it's it's going to be about that. No. Everybody who emailed me through the contact form about that episode wanted to tell me to feed 
the robins that were showing up. I, I made this passing comment about how ro- red-breasted robins were showing up on my fire escape, and they're like, you need to feed them. I'm like, I really don't. <laughs> Uh, so you, you can learn a lot about the people who are actually digesting your content just by having a place where they can go and reach out to you. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Don't expect it. <laughs> it's super weird. And then there was this like one, one time there was this woman who was trying to find Jan because she had known Jan for years and she didn't know how to find her. And she remembered my name. And so she just looked me up. She found the website and then she started buying my books and then she reached out to Jan and I'm like, that's interesting. Uh, and she's like, I watched one of your short films on Amazon. It's, it's, I didn't know you guys were doing that, you know? And, uh, so it, it's really, really important and you'll never know how people will use it. Exactly. All right. Audience research. I think this is really important. I think that this is one of the most neglected chores. <laughs> how do yeah. you, how do you get to know who your audience is? Um, so many writers will tend to write in genres that they're already familiar with. So many writers will neglect this step because they're like, well, I'm already a reader. I already know everything there is to know about people that read in this genre. And that's not the case. That's not the case at all. <laughs> so you really want to do your research on social media and go on Google and Amazon or Google Play Books or Barnes Noble, wherever really you're, you're looking. And this can be as simple as going in the search bar and say, you know, I write in superheroes. So I'm going to say, you know, superhero books. And that will give me a ton of information. I can see what people are posting about. I can see what trends are happening. I can see you know, what keywords are being brought up as often and doing something as simple as that will change your whole perspective on what people are expecting right now. And I'm not saying that that's something you had to work into your book, but it's something to keep in mind when you are creating this, that if you're taking 10 steps back from where the genre is, you need to address that. You know, if you're going way in the past with something that's already been done and people have moved on, you need to address that in your marketing. Like, Hey, you know, I know this hasn't happened in such a long time, but now I'm exploring superheroes that first find out their powers. You know, like how many times has that been done? But, you know, simple searches like that is going gonna, is gonna to teach you how you're going to present this to your target audience and how you're going to reach them and what promotions they're responding to from other people. And it all plays into your marketing and everything that you're going to do from then on. And doing this I feel like through every step of your journey, whether you haven't started your book yet, you're in the middle of writing your book, you're editing it. You just want to keep checking that and keep doing that target audience research because it's just going to keep you informed so that when you're ready to do a book launch, you are very prepared and you know that you're at least going to get some people rather than no people. I know some PR firms do what's called uh, they craft what's called personas, and so they'll they'll be like, "Well, my target audience is is female, age eighteen to thirty five. She wants to be a writer, but she also works as a barista." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've seen a lot of people do that in depth too. I actually read a book recently about marketing because it's still something I struggle with. Um, by Redzi, they you know like they have like do blogs and they do courses and. That's actually where I format my book through for free. Um, and it was a free book on Amazon. So I was like, oh yeah, sure. Might as well look it up and see. And in there, they said, you want to craft this persona of a person. You want to talk about their target price range. They'd be willing to spend on a book, what their age would be, um, all that kind of stuff. You know, what genres they'd be reading and similar to this. So I definitely, yeah, like almost making a, a, a profile for your target audience. That way, you know, also when you're making these promotions and when you're writing your description, like it plays into everything that you're going to be doing from then on. Yeah, that's one of the things I I, I tend to overhear her because Jan works from home and she works for a PR firm. Mm -hmm. And I overhear her on her calls all the time with uh, authors and the marketing people. And they're always talking about the personas and they're doing it in that, that very language. And it's uh, it's really interesting because it's not it's not something I would have ever thought to put effort behind. 
Yeah, and I feel like that's something too that when you're self-publishing and you choose self-publish over traditional publishing, that's something you have to keep in mind that yeah, even though you're taking on a different route, traditional publishing, a lot of that stuff crosses into what you're doing. You're just doing it without so many as they call it gatekeepers in the way that are mm-hmm. that's what I call you know, <laughs> get, yeah, getting you to the finish line. So a lot of that stuff coincides. Yeah. Well, you know, with the, with the thing uh, that whether you're going through traditional publishing or not, uh, I think the key here is to treat, treat it always like an entrepreneurial endeavor. Every book is an entrepreneurial endeavor. Every film is an entrepreneurial endeavor. Cause uh, I'm also going to be pushing this to filmmakers too, because it's, something that they're also not doing and should be doing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, if, if you treat every project like an entrepreneurial endeavor, as well as your own personal brand, then it'll start to make sense why it's, it's, it's a lot of master's degrees you're going to have to earn without the certificate. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. <laughs> and I feel like too, a lot of people, a lot of writers don't consider everything they're building towards as a brand and technically you want to think of it that way because people are going to come back like recurring readers or your audience are going to be expecting something when they come back to what you're writing or your brand per se yeah exactly uh i you know i i i hate to use it as an example but so the best branding that exists is mcdonald's (laughs) yes for sure i mean you know what it means yeah. It's always there. Don't have to necessarily go, but you know what it is. And that's, exactly. that's important. Um, so I wanted to bring up, I, wa- I wanted to continue with the whole self-publishing versus going the traditional route. Um, how, I know that with, with some people, especially in, in the business there's credibility issues with self-publishing. I deal with it all the time as I'm a biggest advocate for self-publishing and just doing everything yourself. Uh, That's why I call them gatekeepers. It's not a term of endearment. (laughs) Um, And so what kind of credibility issues have you you run into uh, with uh, advocating for self-publishing and just being able to do it all yourself? Right. Well, um, so I've actually made a thread that talked about how like statistics of self-publishing versus traditional publishing. And because self-publishing really started to become a trend in like 2007 when Amazon introduced Kindle uh, direct publishing, uh, they found, I think it was in 2014, that I think it was like 80% of the best-selling authors on Amazon were self-published. Like it was a huge number that I I hadn't even expected. I, I looked up three times because I wasn't sure. <laughs> and it was just really surprising because they, I feel people, readers, a lot of, or just a lot of people don't consider you an, this established author unless you have been accepted by traditional publishing. I think that's the first, that's the first barrier. And the second one is so many people are ready to get their book out there because they've worked on it for what feels like ever that they skip really important steps to get it to readers, which is professional editing, because we all have that one person that has, you know, is a, a really good editor as a friend, which I don't want to knock those people down because I'm sure they're really good. But when you're, when you're, when a reader isn't trusting you by per, you know, giving their money to you, they're expecting <laughs> nearly perfect. They're not expecting a bunch of mistakes. And, you know, even traditional publishing, you're going to see mistakes. It happens. We're human, but you want to make sure that you're crossing off your teeth and dotting your eyes before you're putting that out there for people to be spending their money on because for new writers or self-published authors a lot of readers are taking a chance on you because they don't know you and you know they're only going to take a chance on you if one your description sounds really really good or two someone's recommended the book to them or they've read a lot of great reviews saying yeah you need to read this so the next step of that is making your book as professional as possible and when people skip these steps, then unfortunately, it kind of sets this precedent and the stigma for a lot of other self-published books, which I think is something that all self-published authors are going through. So, you know, the, the few mistakes kind of set, set this umbrella for everybody else, which is really, really hard to pass until a few of us make it 
big or we can kind of prove that wrong. So there's a lot of factors, but I feel like those are the, the biggest ones. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, one of the things that I think I benefited from to a certain extent is uh, my graphic arts background. I've been obsessed with text layout since I can remember, since before I could really read. I like the way, for some reason, novels look, the way the text of a novel looks, how it conforms oh, yeah. to the page. Uh, and so I'll often decide on whether to read a book based on that. I know it sounds like... No. No, I but, get that. Um, I'm always looking to see what the font is, what the typeface is. Uh, and then I'll, I'll even count the lines. I'll be like, oh, well, all of Bukowski's novels, for the most part, are 37 lines. Like, I know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I'm obsessed with with that uh to a certain extent it's it's also the reason i don't read mass market paperbacks i find them very uncomfortable to look at (laughs) yeah well and i feel too that when traditional publishers you know going out that they're trying to get as many people from that genre to take in that book as possible because it is a, a numbers game rather than a reader's game you know what i mean how many how much money can we get in for this book that we just poured a bunch of money into <laughs> what can what can we get in return so. you know one one interesting thing that I had this guy on last year he started his own press uh, because he wanted to fill this void of experimental literature uh, that nobody was taking a risk on and he started by publishing his own book uh, and uh, he incorporated the press he made some deal with Amazon where they would handle all the printing on demand, which was really interesting. So it's like officially published, but it's also still through Amazon. Right. Uh, Which uh, I might have to pick his brain again because I was thinking about doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And for some reason, it it worked out. Like his books, they pass. Like they don't look any different. They don't feel any different. Like they're professional books. Uh, and he's doing everything we're talking about here. So he is taking editing extremely seriously. Oh, it's no. the second book he published was from a, a, a very uh, well-known author. Um, I think previously that author was published by Random House or one of those big imprints. And wow. then he got his like second novel. It was like a 20-year gap. Uh, <laughs> but they were going back and forth on the editing uh, of this guy's second book for months, probably almost a year. Uh, mm-hmm. And to, to tell your idol that, Oh, you got to go back and fix this. That takes some, some gonads, yeah. I think, but uh, I don't know if I would have done it, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean the editing, the, and just being, having everything presented professionally page layout. I, I know I've bought some books off Amazon where it just looks like somebody dumped a word file into the publishing app. And that was that. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) That's one of those huge hurdles to get over and why, again, I feel like a lot of, a lot of readers struggle with, I mean, and I I actually did look on Amazon because I was curious myself because I couldn't find any other statistics like past 2014 because I was like well you know technically when the pandemic hit a lot of people wanted to try their hand at writing and they said they took they saw a real big upswing in traditional and self-publishing so I was curious and I actually looked through Amazon and I couldn't really see anywhere on there where you could tell if it was self-published or not because I was like looking like the the details and stuff because it's it's just yeah so what I think happened is more imprints were started where Amazon fulfills all of their orders. Mm, so okay. it looks traditional, but it's still Amazon made on demand. Okay, I gotcha. That's my that's my conspiracy theory that's really rooted in I know that that's what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Um, I mean, I invite comments from people who know better. Oh, have you heard that there's a... Um, I found this interesting. I just found this out this morning that there might be an antitrust uh, investigation because Random House wants to merge with Simon and Schuster. Really? Yeah. 
wow. like it's a shrinking like the major publishing is shrinking big well, time self-publishing you know is becoming so 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 big yeah they're trying to make it more uh controlled yeah what's their word for it i think it's yeah it's all about yeah. control <laughs> yeah I, oh. I don't know how to talk about the publishing landscape and hold composure because it's it can be so frustrating. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so we'll just skip that. Um, hi, oh yeah. So, are you on YouTube yet? I'm not. It's uh, a place I want to get to. <laughs> I didn't make a bullet point about this, but I don't think there are enough writers using YouTube, and and I'm constantly looking for writers who are one doing what you're doing, talking about their their trial and error of every component of this thing but also I think it could help a lot of writers to start recording their readings and using YouTube as a way of getting their content out there um, I've experimented with it to a certain extent but it, it's really it's really an area that's missing from YouTube yeah I agree I feel like when I see a lot of writers on YouTube it's talking about the new novella or book reviews and things like that i actually contemplated turning my medium post into like a, U a youtube short to get a different audience that way uh it's just something that i haven't had time to sit down and do yet yeah that's what that's what that's the big thing i'm an advocate for i always ask writers that like hey are you on youtube yet um all right so making a living as a writer <laughs> <laughs> this is what everybody really wants to know. This is what we're all working, working towards the, the elephant in the room. So a lot of a lot of the writers that are in my circle, the ones that have been published, um, whether it's, whether it's mainstream publishing or self publishing, but a lot of the more successful writers that I know, uh, publishing is is a, is one component of their income. So. A lot of them are in the nonfiction space, so they might have speaking gigs or um, they might be invited to lecture at universities. Maybe they, they have other forms of media like a podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, to what extent do you think writers should be expected to not treat writing like a full-time job? I think that goes back to the fact that playing the long game as a writer it's not going to to the people that can make themselves an overnight success and have a bestseller more power to you however many people don't have like 99 percent of people don't have that happen so that's why you need to be consistently building your platform your portfolio your body of work because each book that you put in there is to me, gaining you another reader because when they finish one book, they can jump into another book. And unfortunately, unless you're Stephen King or somebody, it's going to take you a long, long time until you can build up a portfolio or a body of work that is going to give you some sort of decent income. And a lot of writers need to kind of treat their brand as this umbrella where you have Books is the main thing you obviously want to do, but then doing something like I have done where I'm using my experience to medium. And then I've also taught a couple courses to kind of bring more income in to help you keep doing that thing of learning that you want to do. And it's hard for a lot of people to, they have imposter syndrome where they don't feel like they have an experience to pass that on to someone else in the form of whatever it be YouTube or Medium or a course that they're teaching. And believe it or not, no matter, I would, I would say, give it a year, a year or two of you trying this thing called writing and you will have something to teach someone else because you're that much far ahead or that much further ahead of someone else and you can teach them something that you didn't know when you were in their shoes. So I would say treat yourself you know, your brand is this umbrella and all of these other things that you can put underneath it with your books that are going to help bring you income to give you that sustainability as a writer. Unfortunately, it's never just writing <laughs> your books, which is what we all just want to do. Just 
hide away, write our books. And like, everybody's like, oh, it's great. Unfortunately, you have to do X, Y, and Z with it. Or it's really, really hard to get yourself off the ground. Because also when you do all their stuff, people then get more recognition and awareness about you. And that also draws people into your books. One of the things I also like tell people who are starting out, and, and this goes for filmmakers and artists too, be, be prepared to live with your work forever. Like literally forever. Yeah. Um, it's It might have been something you did 10 years ago, but to some people, they just picked it up. Right. Uh, and I, I, I'd heard recently that um, that actress from Friends, I forget her name, Courtney Cox, yeah. she has no recollection of filming Friends at all. Like wow. she has a missing blank spot in her memory for all those years. Huh. Did you know that? That's no. so weird. And um, I think that's an interesting example because a lot of people ask her about it. And people want to hear her perspective of what it was like to make such a, uh, a historic television show. Yeah. Uh, and she's like, I don't. I don't know. I don't remember. I know nothing. That is wild. <laughs> that is wild. Um, let's see. Here. Let's look at your articles. I like your articles. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I write them in the dead of night. <laughs> you have a lot of books, too. I pulled up your Amazon page. What was your first book? Uh, Kelsey still... and Outlier's Tale. It's my young oh. adult dystopian. Yeah, that's a great cover. Thank you. Uh, I did not make that. Amazon made that. That was the first one that Amazon made for me. So is that is the service you, you, you're you using, um, it's like a, it's not like hybrid publishing. It's just like you're you're hiring them to do certain aspects of it? Yeah, if you actually just go directly to Kindle Direct Publishing, you can, they have like a whole form that you fill out and then you can actually select packages and you can even select, I selected the, like you fill out what you want and then they'll actually call you and walk through the whole thing. Like they called me and some guy talked to me and he's like, okay, what do you need? He's like, by the way, congratulations, it's a big step for you. And I was like, you know, yeah, yeah, it is. And, you know, then he just kind of walked me through the whole process and it was actually kind of nice because the editor called me and talked to me about the edits and then they sent me like a sheet about what I need to work on and things and then they sent me obviously the manuscript that need edited and then I actually talked with the person that did the cover and then they sent me options for the cover so it was nice that I got to talk to someone throughout the whole process but even though I got to talk to them I still don't feel like I learned a lot from them because they were still doing the job for me like I felt included but I didn't learn anything. I was like, oh, these people did this and these people did this for me, but I really don't know how they did it. So I paid for them to do that, but I didn't learn anything. Yeah, they don't, well, the, if you learn, then they wouldn't be paying them the second time. Exactly. <laughs> what sort of edits were they sending you? Um, so I signed up for a grammatical edit and a developmental edit. And the grammatical edit was great, but... I don't know if a lot of other writers do this, but obviously your writing gets better as you go on. But now that I read, reread Kelsen, like, oh, I might want to go back and like fix some stuff because my writing is obviously not, was not as good then as it is now. And I feel like I didn't know that as a first time writer. I was just like, I wrote this book and people are like, oh, it's awesome. And then I was, I was off and I was paying these people for a service and I kind of wish that someone was a little more honest with me with which you know like another seasoned writer who I like because now with my editing process is much different and I have other seasoned writers you know proofread it for me or beta read it for me and I I get more much more honest feedback from them you know this this would really work if you were more showing and telling here or this needs more description and I didn't get that from Amazon I feel I got strictly grammatical and developmental, which is your plot line looks like it's good and it works. So if there's a takeaway from that, I feel like I didn't get personalized feedback. I would wonder what the qualifications were too with like whoever's behind the screen. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Okay. I was just curious. I didn't really <laughs> even know they did that. So 
yeah. I've learned something. Oh, yes. Yeah. So you were just talking about having people edit your your thing. And I got this article pulled up. Why having people close to us read our work is so difficult. Why is it difficult? I won't do it. Jan's not allowed to read my work. <laughs> I get that. It's easier to have a stranger read it than to have someone close to you who knows you and who's going to interact with you know what's going on up there. I get that. Yeah. 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 Do you struggle with it? Um, I used to, and now I don't. My husband is actually my toughest beta reader. Like I go with everybody else and they're pretty mild and they get to him and he's like, oh, no, 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 no. You have a lot of stuff to change. <laughs> and that's, and I, I respect that. That's what I need. I don't need someone to boost my ego. I need someone to take me down a few notches so I can make it better. I feel like I, one of the things I need to do is I need to find somebody that I trust that has my taste in literature, which is very laser specific. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I've, I think I found one person, but he's a writer and he doesn't like to edit. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's not an option. Yeah. One of the things that before we leave that subject, one of the things I hear a lot about, and I especially hear it on Twitter from the writing community there. And it's how people close to some creatives, no matter what they do, will try to knock them down in some form or another. And I think that's also like that fear rules them to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard. Yes. I feel like it's the fear of someone else close to you knowing what's going on up there and feeling yourself a little exposed. And there are a lot of people like I know, even that I know who don't consider what I'm doing as a real profession per se. Like it's, it's a hobby. You're not really going to get anywhere with it. And that can also lead to, you know, or jealousy that that's something they want to do and they can't do it. So I'm going to knock you down a few pegs (laughs) in the process. And it's unfortunate, but it happens a lot. Yeah, that's very accurate. Uh, and he, the one word uh, I can't stand is hobby. Yeah, It's my least favorite word next to, yeah. well, I'm not going to tell you what the other word is. Uh, try to keep this family friendly. <laughs> so what are some hard facts about writing a book series? I'm, I'm actually just started one. I, I never planned to, but uh, I'm almost done with the first one. Um, writing a series. Well, you need to definitely keep a working document as you go. Something that tells you all the details. Because once you get past like book two, it becomes a lot more difficult to keep everybody straight. And I found this too, like my husband and I were actually having this conversation last night because I have a book coming out soon that's in the backup hero uh, series that I'm in. And he was like, okay, you did this too many times in the series. You need to like write it down when you did it and where you did it so you don't do it again and that kind of really set things in a focus for me because I think now that would be the third book and then I have one more after that that I've planned so far for that so keeping details like that in mind that I wouldn't necessarily think of but an outside perspective reader would be like well why am I reading this again it's just different character different you know whatever uh and with that planning and that working document per se, I would say, write down all the characters that are going to appear in each book, how they affect the plot. It's, it's going to be huge, but you're going to really, it's going to serve you later on when you have to go back and look at details and you're trying to remember something that you're like, oh, now I had to read through the whole book. And that's really going to just take time away from what I have to do. <laughs> yeah. It, it's really just organization skills. Um, I think I planned, see, I don't even remember. This is why it's important. Five book series. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I set aside six notebooks, yeah. one for each book, plus another book to just kind of be the Bible for it all. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's probably the best thing you can do because after you get so many in there and mine are just novellas, like they're small little things. There's so many details that, and people and how they, you know, interact with each other that you have to consider later on that, it's like, you know, for, so for each novella in my series, it's the same cast of people, but the focus is on a different character for each story. It's like the first one's on the main superhero Tanzer girl and 
how she talks about the backup or the superhero league and how it's formed and how the hierarchy goes and then the second book is like about the bartender and it's kind of like a prequel where it talks about how the superhero league was formed itself and then the third book is about the drunk character that's like the drunk superhero and it's called the back of cry wolf and he's drunk all the time and he sees something you shouldn't have but no one believes him so but it all even though they focus on a different character in each book it has the same cast of characters they just take places in different parts of the timeline so that's kind of how I kept it all straight so I wouldn't have to remember like 10 new names for each thing um and that way readers would not be too upset with me when I focus on a different character for the next story if they got attached to somebody yeah I'm kind of doing something similar where this first book introduces what will eventually be the bad spirit of the mm-hmm. whole thing and i don't think anybody will get attached to him though he's a real horrible person <laughs> uh, it's very fun to write though uh, and then the next book will be sort of uh a guy who, who you think he's going to be a horrible person but he ends up being the good spirit in the thing oh that's uh, nice. and then the third book is sort of an important story of how they sort of clash. Okay. And the fifth book is sort of the larger or fourth. See, this is organization. (laughs) Oh, yeah, your latest one. Let's talk about your latest one. How, what I've learned from becoming an author, illustrator in the realm of children books. That's a tough genre to get ingress children's books Jan was a a, she interned for a literary agency that specialized in children's books and the slush pile like was just crazy immense oh wow I can only imagine (laughs) (laughs) what were some of the things you picked up well so being a preschool teacher for long time and now mom I kind of had I've read a lot of kids books so I was obviously interested in trying something and had this store I had a story idea about dandelions because everybody considers dandelion a weed and not a flower so I thought it was you know that kind of diversity inclusive thing a lot of people are interested in and something I was obviously interested in and I read it to my daughter and she loved it <laughs> and I didn't really know this was a whole new genre for me, a whole new market for me because nothing that I'd ever tried before. And I had kind of contemplated for a long time trying to find an illustrator because I wasn't sure if I was able to do it myself. And I mean, I'm, I'm decent in art, but I'm not like Picasso. So, and it's really hard to make something very marketable or what is in the taste of the traditional publishing industry. You know, you, I, really went through a lot of other children's books like Mill Williams, who's done Elephant and Piggy, where he literally has colored or white background and just the focus on the characters. And then you have someone like Eric Carl who does collage art. And then you have, you know, someone like Aubrey Wood who does, you know, these really intricate paintings and things for their books. So there's a lot to work with and consider about what I wanted in the beginning. And it was just, it was, I had to do a lot of research because it's nothing I knew anything about. I had a story, people liked it. I tried to do some paintings and watercolor because that's all I had. I literally grabbed my daughter's little, like from the store watercolor that has like five colors and some printer paper. And I made, and I'm like, oh, it actually turned out pretty good. And I actually scored a, I mean, I, I queried a bunch of people, uh, a bunch of agents and got a lot of passes and then I actually tried for some small publishing houses and got a small publishing house um interested and I went and had a meeting with them and they were really really excited and she said you know I'm just going to give you pointers like a lot of people don't think about this when they do children's books but that you want to make everything look cohesive you want to do your pictures on bigger paper obviously in my case with better watercolor and better paper that wasn't gonna was gonna really highlight the color and they were interested in my pictures and were willing to work with me for me to redo them and then consider them. And they had said, you know, for all your word, you know, your text, you're going to want to make separate illustrations for those and your cover, you want to be a separate illustration on its own from anything you're going to see in the story to catch 
people's eyes. And there was just a lot to consider that I hadn't considered. So I, I considered, I learned a lot. And she even said to me, you know, when she showed me the process for what she does with other authors. And she said, like, I literally put the illustration on my screen and I put different text next to them to see what's going to fit the pictures the best. Which is something I, I, like, I had never even considered. I never even thought about that. And it made so much sense. So I feel I got, I learned a lot from that meeting and I was very excited. And unfortunately it fell through. Uh, I, I referenced the Writers Guild a lot because they give you a lot of contract um, feedback and advice and things and how to protect yourself as the author. And she had offered me a contract, but it was very much in, in the publisher's favor. And it made me a little bit nervous. So I just asked her, are you open to negotiations? She's like, okay, well, you know, what, what do you have? So I, I sent her back some of my negotiation things, which would be like, you know, if it went out of print, would I get the rights back? Things like that. And right, you know, just co cover my own butt. And uh, <laughs> so, and I actually have a whole back from her. She just, she, not, she just never responded. She just totally ghosted. And which, which is fine, you know, like you're, you're never, nothing is guaranteed. You know, everybody is unfortunately in this for themselves, which is fine because it's business. But my takeaway is I've learned a lot going forward and I could self-publish it myself, but my concern was children's books are much different than a regular book. I don't know how to actually format that and put that all together because Amazon actually does have a children's book story creator app. They also have one for comic books because I was concerned putting comic book out for the superhero series I have, but it was very, very difficult to navigate and try to get everything together since I don't think it's where it should be yet. It's one of those things that's still newer. So I actually started redoing all the illustrations like she suggested because this was back in August, I think I talked to her. And once they're all complete, because the story's already done and edited and everything, I'm going to try again. Uh, and if something were to come up, maybe I'll try to self-publish it, but it really depends on if the formatting and everything is where I can get it to be, where I can do it on my own and have it come out looking professional as my other books. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have a, f I have a few, uh, things with everything you just said. One, you did the right thing by asking about what happens if it goes out of print, because I've seen that happen to musicians where, uh, a publisher will buy their music just to keep it off the market oh, which is really nefarious uh because they've already invested in someone else in, in like competition right. and uh so yeah that's really important uh what i have one more question about this and then we can like wrap this up uh what are the most common traits with children's books or with successful children book children's books that you've noticed what, what are some of these authors doing? So I think the, the main thing is you want to keep your word count. I mean, you, you, ha you have to really think about what age you're specifying this toward. There is definitely books that are for, you know, birth to two years old. There's definitely books that are three years to five years, six to eight years. You really have to know what age you're marketing toward and what age your book is for, because that also changes your word count. Like I was advised, you know, I'm doing three to five years old for Dandelion. You're not going to want to go over 750 words. Like that's something I would have never, I, I didn't know that. So these are, you know, these authors know their word count. They know what age they're doing and they are able to, you also need connections because you want to get into schools you want to get into libraries, like libraries is one of the hardest things to get into. A lot of self-published authors don't know that you can actually submit your book to Library of Congress, but it's very difficult to get in. I, I haven't had success yet. I've tried a few times. I actually submitted my backup superhero book and they were like, oh, it doesn't fit our children's section. I'm like, but it's not a children's book and I don't understand. So I'm going to try that again. But it's, it's, you know, it's really difficult to get into Library of Congress. And then once you do that, you really open up yourself to a lot. And traditional authors kind of already have their foot in the door because that's kind of automatic. Like a lot of books that go through traditional publishing can get into the Library of Congress fairly easily. And your illustrations, because a lot of 
there aren't many books that are black and white. If you look at a lot of children's books, there's a lot of bright colors, a lot of variations, and a, definitely certain styles. So, and it, it also does, you know, by age, the styles, there's a lot of styles by age. So, you know, like zero, like birth through two years old, you're going to have a lot of touch and feel books, a lot of things talking about sensory things, mirrors, and then you get into three through five, it's talking about characters and relatability and talking about issues that kids like that are going through or adventures that are going to make them feel like they're going along with the character. You just got to shrink your thinking to think like a kid. It's really, it's really difficult. <laughs> so there's a lot of things to consider. Awesome. Thank you so much again for having me and inviting me on here. I really, really appreciate it and appreciate everything you're doing to help other artists and authors. Well, thanks. Yeah. Uh, I think it's important. I, I, I really do think that there needs to be a disruption, not just in publishing, but in Hollywood, in, in the arts, whether you're a gallery artist, uh, there needs to be a disruption in which artists take ownership of what they're doing. So oh, yeah. That's Absolutely. the end game for me, at least. <laughs> thanks, Kayla. All right. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you have a moment, please consider subscribing to the show wherever you listen. And if the app allows for it, please leave a rating and review. That way, the algorithm moves us up in recommendations. It's a great way for new listeners to find our show. Thanks, and I'll see you on the next episode.